Welcome to the Good Ship Illustration Podcast. We're here to offer no-nonsense advice for illustrators and image makers navigating a creative career. Our course, Find Your Creative Voice, Fly Your Freak Flag, is opening its doors again at the end of October, early November. So this podcast is for answering your questions, we'll be interviewing our artists and just giving advice. I like how Tanya calls us the three bears of the illustration industry. So we're each from a different era and area of illustration and we have over 60 years experience between us. So today's podcast is all about where do you find inspiration? And we've got together and we've thought of some of our best tips for finding inspiration and avoiding the comparison trap. So yeah, let's get stuck in. So I think one of the places people feel like you should start is looking at other people's work. What do you think about that? It's a bit iffy, isn't it? It's There's a lot of problems in that. It used to be that pre-internet, you, you'd look in the libraries and you would look at artists because there weren't really many books about illustrators. There were books about designers, but not really art, not really illustrators. But now we see illustrators work everywhere. And I think there's a big jet danger in illustrators just looking at other illustrators. And it starts to drag the whole thing down to the sort of lowest common denominator, as well as trend fueling. So, yeah, I'd say don't look at, Try to avoid looking at illustrators. Yeah, I think we kind of minimised that, didn't we? Because we thought if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're probably on social media, you're probably already looking at other illustrators' work just by default, by being online. Um, so it's it's worth going back to your sketchbooks instead and just working on your own stuff and trying as much as you can to kind of have blinkers on for other people's work. Yeah, I find... I mean, it's not the same for everybody. Everybody's motivation and inspiration comes from different places. But for me, um, going back to my sketchbooks is always the source of it. So it helps me get into that playful mind that I need if I'm going to start a new storybook idea. Because it's just so relaxing sitting outside with a sketchbook and drawing and um, sitting on my bed and playing with ideas, catching myself off guard so I've got time to play. It's always, I find going for a walk, especially a walk at night, if it's about ideas and you're not necessarily looking at things you're thinking, the, the brain being freed up from looking at a screen is suddenly a remarkable and surprising place when you've sat working all day. But then other places, if, you're, if it's a visual thing, walking around the countryside, uh, sitting in cafes in cities or driving around, it just really loosens the brain up and you start to make connections between what you see or the desire to draw from life returns. I find those are good places if you're a bit stuck. I watched that brilliant iPlayer documentary about Alexander McQueen the other day, and it was really refreshing to hear him every time he was interviewed this year. So why have you decided to work for Gucci or whichever design house he was working for? And he would always say, money, they offered me plenty of money. And um, at the end of the programme, his good friend or ex-partner says that um, Alexander was always... Um, inspired by his both his childhood traumas and money <laughs> which is brilliant is isn't it isn't that brilliant it's such a refreshing answer well illustration is a commercial activity obviously it begins with a love of drawing and a, and a love of creativity but it ends up a commercial activity and I find I can say to myself, oh, it would be lovely to go and draw the allotments why don't you find half an hour an afternoon to go and sit and do that but that's not the same as someone saying, I am paying you to do this and your deadline is Friday. You can guess which one will get done and which one won't. So, you know, it's a brutal truth about money, but it does motivate us. 
it may not be inspiration, but it forces you to find inspiration because you you've got to have it to create good work. So I think it's it's very pragmatic of him to say that and, and brutally honest as well. Yeah. I think especially in British culture we're like, oh don't talk about money, but for him to just be like, oh yeah, I'm motivated by money, it is very refreshing. Before I had my daughter, when I would write picture books, the ideas came from kind of memories and I would there'd be something I'd just be obsessed with drawing and so I'd write a book around that thing I was obsessed with drawing and it was all about the drawings for me. But then I found when she was born, she's been a huge inspiration because um, all those little conversations you have with toddlers, I'd make notes of those in my sketchbooks and they became a source of inspiration, which meant that the books became um, way more like, um, what's a good way of putting it? They were much more realistic about the experience of a child and I was observing what she was doing and it made the, the books much, much better after she was born. So yeah, believability. Yeah, and I wasn't so obsessed with just the drawings being good. It was about the whole package because now I was sitting in bed and reading with her, and realizing which books were working and which books weren't, and which ones entertained me as well as her. And so then, um, I just wanted to make a book that ticked all of those boxes. But that's another great place for inspiration. Is our lives are more interesting than we think they are because we live them they seem so dull but other people's observations of the things around them can be completely fascinating so like you say having a child and really seeing the inner mind of a child and recording that creates work with integrity and with honesty I mean people must be living so many different kinds of experiences just beginning to draw what goes goes on around you in your everyday life can be really interesting and inspirational for other people that can be the thing that you get from just going from a walk or going to a new place isn't it like you see the whole world is like a bit exciting and new and your brain gets all woken up because it's looking at the different packaging or the different landscape or whatever it is where you are is this why you are often on your journeys before lockdown, Katie? Yeah, you usually do lots of travelling, don't you? Yeah, but but even stuff like when I was studying in Edinburgh, I used to just get the bus and go and just do the whole route because it was exciting. I was like, oh, I've never been to this part of Edinburgh before. This is cool. And then just be going through all these neighbourhoods and seeing all the different people get on and off the bus. And that was f- fabulous. It was like being on holiday without having to spend loads of money and go far afield i used to get on the tram in hong kong because it would it would only be 25 pence and you could go the whole length of the tram line and it goes quite slowly so you get more time to draw you can actually get photos that don't blur as you travel along so something yeah that's like putting yourself in a kind of state of suspension but also being inspired by what you can see is a i think that's why travel works every time whether it's micro travel in times of covid like I'd really like to go um, on a trip up to Scotland. I'd got some ideas about a map. And I thought, if I could just go away for two weeks, I know we can't travel abroad for the ultra stim- stimulation, but yeah, just 10 days in a, a cottage up near a whiskey distillery would do me fine. And uh, that's a good way to get some inspiration. So sometimes we're asked in the course um, about what do you do if you don't feel motivated at all? If you see all of the work around by other people and you wonder if there's room for you in the industry. Yeah, there's this really fine line between looking at other people's work and being like, wow, that's amazing, feeling really inspired and also feeling really 
demoralized and demotivated. So it's that's another reason why I would say like don't look too much at what other people are doing and just look at your own stuff. Um, but there are lots of other things to bear in mind. Yeah, that industry thing, isn't it? We we say at one point don't look because you'll freak yourself out. But actually, <laughs> you need to know how big the industry is to know that there is space for you there. There's all kinds of illustration work out there, as we discovered when we all went to Bologna together and <laughs> came back so exhausted and so brain boggled and inspired. Um, it's reassuring to know that there's space for lots of different illustrators. What there isn't space is for a bunch of the same people. But you need to know that your version of um, illustration does have its own space as long as it's got a originality. Yeah. So in case somebody, if in case you're listening to this and you're like, what is Bologna? So Bologna is a children's book fair. Is it a children's? Yeah, it's a children's book, isn't it? It's where all the publishers go to sell their children's book to, to, to get co-editions, to sell the rights to foreign publishers. So all of the publishers from all over the world turn up at Frankfurt and then Bologna. There's a big book fair in Frankfurt once a year and a big book fair in Bologna once a year. And it's incredible. Like people told me it was big and I was kind of mentally prepared for a big fair, but it honestly took about maybe half an hour to walk from one end and see all the event, uh, like all the stalls and everything. It's huge. It's a big mix of feeling overwhelmed because there's so much stuff out there. Where is the room for you? But at the same time, I find it really inspiring because you can see all of the variety of work out there in the world. So if your work's not fit in here with a British publisher and you can't find one, if you go to Bologna Book Fair, you will definitely find a publisher in some part of the world who really loves what you do. Absolutely. It's like finding your tribe, isn't it? When you see, oh, in South America, they've got these really cool publishers who the work is like mine. And then you find places where you absolutely won't fit. Maybe like certain American publishing is a very alien world or because you come from a European um, tradition of illustration. But I think it's that double-edged sword of um, being overwhelmed by the competition, but also finding you fit in at the same time. You think, hold on, I haven't got a straight answer out of this place. I'm freaked out, but I'm also comforted simultaneously and inspired. The other thing I think that stops people is this feeling... Definitely I've seen it when I've been working with people who want to write picture books is they feel as if they have to write something completely original. So say they decide they're going to write a book about uh, a child who doesn't like to use the potty, for example. They'll look in a bookshop and see that there are so many books about potties. And so it completely stops them making any new work. They're just like, well, the stories have all been written before. What am I going to do? But the thing is, there's always a new way of telling those stories so it's not about the subject it's about how you tell the story so yeah there's always room for a new potty book out there there is and that's your magic power is that you are you so even if you did try and write the same story not that you would try and do that but if you did it would still be original this is what we talk about in the course all the time isn't it because our course is about find finding your creative voice and this Mm. is what we talk about all the time is that your voice is the thing that's most valuable about you. So it, it's not necessarily you need to come up with something completely original, never done before. It's that you just need to tell it your way. Exactly. Yeah, it's transla- it's translated through your voice. And I think that's why sometimes tricks and kind of creative challenges are a good way to trigger inspiration and motivation when you feel like your brain is too tired to come up with ideas. Um, 
Katie does one, don't you, which is a, what's your version, Katie? For the 20 ideas in 20 minutes. And does that work oh, for you when you're stuck? It does, yes. Yeah. So if, especially if I've got a deadline and uh, somebody wants like some visuals for whatever, I'll just make a grid like five by four, which is 20 spaces in case you're bad at maths like me. Um, and then you set a timer for 20 minutes and you just eliminate all distractions. And for that 20 minutes, you need to come up with a visual idea like 20, 20 answers to the question you're trying to solve. So if the brief was like, oh, we need some branding for a deli, we want a logo, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to think of 20 ideas. And because you've got that uh, time limit, you haven't got time to second guess yourself. And because it's 20 minutes, you don't get too precious about how good it looks. And it's amazing. Every time I do that exercise, I get something out of it, like at least one idea that's okay that I can develop usually three to five that are like oh they're actually quite good and I wouldn't have thought of them if I'd sat there being like oh god I need it to be perfect like what can I do I don't have time so that's yeah that's my top tip for getting stuff done I like to do um do it in two ways so one is the idea and one is the visual so I'll split it into say if you've got a bit of a cliched image like an ice cream draw 20 different ice creams so visualize them differently and how many different ways could they be delivered like sa- ice cream sandwich or you know in a sunday bowl or so and, and you're also the way you're drawing will change as well so your style and the way you would visualize an ice cream then the other one is metaphor or concept so if you're coming up with something that you you've been faced with before like community or protection or paris you know that they're, they're all well-trodden areas so you've got to try and come up with a a concept or a visual metaphor for those ideas and again give yourself 10 or 20 or use Katie's system of 20 minutes and use the grid you know it's all going to be over in 20 minutes and you get quite excited and want to extend the time at the end of it so try one visualization and one as the, the metaphor how you could represent something so the next thing that people seem to come up against over and over again is how do I make time to make my new stuff? This is something that Helen Helen is the queen of. <laughs> I I always think that just protecting your time is the most important thing. So I think if you're a freelancer, especially if you're just starting out and people aren't used to the fact that you're a full-time illustrator yet, <clears throat> people can ask for favours during the day. Go and pick their dog up from the vet, or you know, give us a lift somewhere. You're at home all day, aren't you? And you're like, and so I think protecting your time is really valuable. So if anybody asks you to do anything during wherever you allocate your work hours, you just say no. I'm working then. I'll do it when I've finished work. Um, So protecting your time is really important. And then the other thing that I found quite hard was when my daughter was born. I'd learned to protect my time. I was really good at that. But now I wanted to spend time with her and she wanted to spend time with me, but there was work to be done. And so, well, I had two kind of systems. One was I put locks on the studio door so that she literally couldn't let herself in every two minutes, um, which was really painful. It was really hard, but, you know, it just set boundaries and we needed to have them. But on days where that wouldn't work, I would actually pretend I was leaving the house to go to work and say goodbye, give her a kiss, leave the house and go. And then five minutes later, once I knew she was playing with Jerry and everything was fine, I would sneak back in, back in, go into the workrooms, lock the door. And she didn't know I was in there, so she wouldn't even try the doors. So, yeah, protecting your time is just, it's vital. 
sometimes a studio is handy, isn't it? Because when you when you have a work from home studio, people will say, um, "Are you free for a coffee?" Or or they'll say, "Oh, I'll pop round if you're free on Friday morning." And you think, "Well, it's a home, so I suppose that seems a normal question." But if you're if you're working from a studio, there's a greater boundary, and people know that you're at work, and it seems to represent that you're working um, more than a home studio does because it's an externalised symbol of it. So I'm desperate to get a studio to to work away from home, just to divide the time between um, home and work, which is always an issue because people say you go downstairs for a coffee and then an hour later you're almost ironing the stuff. You've put the washing in, you've hung it up and thought, I'll fold it up, but that could do with a quick iron. You can lose an hour just like that. Yeah, I think a lot of the time it is other people thinking it's okay to be like, excuse me, you do this. And they don't even know they're doing it. So it's part of you having to be a little bit tough and you might feel really mean being like, oh, I'm busy. But usually people are just like, okay, and then they'll get on with their life. Yeah, the minute I just started telling people I'm busy, I work during the day, that's it, all just stopped. Maybe that's the script. Oh, I can't, I work during the day, as simple as. Because we're always taught to try and be flexible and work around other people's needs, but that's time for that to stop. We'll just say, oh, yeah, I, I'm in the studio or I'm at work. Yeah. And I think even when you have your studio time blocked out, there are the other distractions of like emails and social media and all those bells and whistles and pings that come out of your computer. And my favourite way to get stuff done that's for me that's before work like before work is to get up really early and then you've got the the glory of it's quiet nobody's emailing you yet or you don't even look at your emails because nobody expects you to reply to things at six in the morning and it's just the best time for me because I'm I get up early anyway so it feels easy and I think it's so easy to be like oh I should get up early but I would also say if you're naturally a night owl there's no need to beat yourself up and force yourself to get up early. In that case, I would harness nighttime. That makes so much sense. I'm definitely a lark like you, Katie. I wake up naturally really early. I like it when the house is quiet. I get a few jobs done. It's brilliant. I really love it. Whereas um, Jerry, yeah. my partner, is also an illustrator, but he's an owl like Tanya, and he doesn't like to work first thing in the morning. He'll do all sorts of other stuff, and then he'll get to his desk in the afternoon, and he'll work late into the night. Yeah, I'm so glad I'm not alone in that <laughs> because I feel like Richmond from the IT crowd. No, I'll, <laughs> I'll blunder out of the cupboard or, or my bedroom at 11 in the morning because I've worked till two and then couldn't sleep because of the screen glare. What an idiot. I mean, I, I know these things exist, but I'm just, I can only do functional things in the morning. So when you said, Katie, you get up at six and you don't answer the emails, I'm like, what? That's the first thing I do. I'd get up, have my breakfast, get rid of all the emails, then think I can do all my other jobs. And I would save the creativity till they're all out of the way. And inevitably, that's lunchtime. And then I have lunch. So it's still two o'clock till I start work. And I can easily work through till two in the morning. And I try not to do that very often. But, you know, on certain projects, it will happen. If it's a regular day, then I'd finish at seven in the evening because I, I always worked until sunset in Hong Kong. For some reason, that was my timing. So I work from 10 till 6.30 or 7. And I can't really get out of the, the habit here, except that the light changes. So, yeah, I would, I'm a night owl. Like you say, work, work with your strengths. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for working to your strengths. So um, I think we've covered our, our inspiration, haven't we? Yeah, hopefully that helps you with your inspiration gathering and getting started. 
So we've got um, the new course is rolling out on the 30th of October for Fly Your Freak Flag, which is full of lots of other great ideas to dig deep and find out what your personal sources of inspiration are. So if you're not signed up already, have a look on thegoodshipillustration.com and you'll find um, a sign up for it and we'll let you know when we're rolling it out next. Yes, We'll see you at Art Club. Please. Yes, so on the 30th of October we'll have art club which is a lie we go live on instagram for an hour of drawing quick time drawings and on the 30th of october straight after art club we open the doors and the doors are open for either a week or until we reach capacity and that's art clubs um eight o'clock in the evening uk time and we are at the good ship illustration on instagram but we'll put all this information in the show notes so you can have a look on there Okay. We never know how to say goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. See you next time.